Welcome to Pit Pass Moto, the show that brings you deep dive interviews with the motorcycle industry insiders, racers, and regulars that make the sport move. I'm your host, Dale Spangler, and this week our guest is Cody Schaefer, an aspiring off-road racer with an inspiring story to share after a racing accident nearly resulted in him losing the use of his left arm. Cody will be on to share his story, which appears on the pages of the latest issue of Bonham Magazine. This episode of Pit Pass Moto is brought to you by Moto America. Moto America is the home of AMA Superbike Racing and is North America's premier motorcycle road racing series. Rewatch every round of the 2022 series and revisit all the action with the Moto America Live Plus video on demand streaming service. Or visit the Moto America YouTube channel for race highlights and original video content. To view the complete 2023 Moto America race schedule, head over to MotoAmerica.com and be sure to follow Moto America on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook for real-time series updates. Let's get started. We'd like to welcome to Pit Pass Moto, off-road racer Cody Schaefer. Cody, welcome to Pit Pass Moto. How are you today? I'm doing great, Dale. Thanks for having me on. Yeah, let's, uh, well, first off, thanks for coming on and sharing your story. It's an amazing story um, out on video and in the pages of Vana Magazine. So let's begin with a little bit of background about yourself, though. Tell me about how you and your family got into off-road racing, because it seems like you've been doing this for a long time. I know you and I met probably, gosh, it's got to be 10 plus years ago through our mutual friend, Andrew Campo, one of the owners of Vana Magazine. And uh, yeah, how did you get your start in off-road racing? And uh, yeah, let's hear a little bit about that. Um, I guess the story starts with uh, my parents. My dad actually didn't ride until my mom got him into it. So that's, <laughs> that's kind of cool. My grandpa was always an outdoors dude and had four-wheelers and dirt bikes and motorcycles and all that kind of good stuff. So she introduced my dad to it. And then he actually hid his motorcycle at her house because his parents wouldn't let him have one. <laughs> so that's just kind of one of those funny things. And then that started them going and doing Enduros and... I mean, I was just a little kid along for the ride, and I don't know, from from a little dude, like that's that's what I've loved the most. So it was just kind of natural to keep going, and somehow I ended up being pretty dang good at it. Yeah, like a lot of us, I think I saw where you started out, you know, on some, like a 50 or something like that. When was it that you just knew you were, you were hooked? You know, like a lot of us, I just feel like once you do it a couple of times, it's like nothing else. You're just, you know, genuinely hooked. I mean, I, I can't even remember, right? Like it was, <laughs> I was such, such a little guy, I was three, and it was just, that was the thing that mattered the most. Like nothing else added up to the feelings I got being on a bicycle or being on a dirt bike or anything like that. So it's, it's before I can have a great recollection of my ability to be hooked. Yeah, I just remember 12 years old and there was a there was a YZ80 under the Christmas tree and then that it was it was over after that. Like it seemed like there was no turning back. But, you know, I think you had the same type of path. You know, you progressed and got better and next thing you know, you're an expert level off-road racer there in Colorado and did you have this sort of uh, you know, long-term goal to be able to make a living on two wheels as a professional racer? I mean, of course, like that's every every little kid that's doing it. I try to do everything I can to the highest level I'm doing it. So through my early teens and then right really when I got out of high school, it was like I had the freedom to go and race and kind of give it a shot and uh, got got pretty far and then just, I don't know, made made some life choices to not travel as much and do that kind of stuff and I guess grow up and work and do all that kind of stuff. 
Yeah, adulting, right? That's no fun. Right. You know? <laughs> yeah. No, but you do have a list of achievements too, you know, like class 21 win at the Baja 1000, um, ISDE, International Six Days Enduro. And I think, did you do that on a club team or were you part of like the junior trophy team? So I've done it three different times. First time was down in Mexico and that was a club team. And then the year following, we're in Finland and I was on the junior trophy team. And that was just a week from hell. We can get into it if we want. <laughs> and then the last time I did it again was on a club team, just more for fun, a couple years later. Yeah. So you were definitely well on your way, you know, at a high level in the off-road scene. Rewind to September of 2019 and the crash. And so go through that a little bit. I know you go through it in the video and then, you know, the article, but for our listeners out there, you know, tell us about that day. I mean, I think every rider probably has this fear in some ways in the back of their mind, you know, of a head-on collision with another racer. And so tell us about that day and, uh, you know, how things went down. Well, the, yeah, the crash, um, uh, just, just a day that, day that changed my life a lot. It, it was just a, I don't know. I think you, you look back when you're going through things like this and you have like a big life-changing event and that sort of thing. But picturing it and piecing it all together, like there's so many little weird things that added up to like how I got into this situation. And it's from simple as every one of these events that I go to, like I always made it a habit to be the first one out on practice. Like just so I get the first look, I could sneak in an extra lap, I could do all this stuff. And I was just breaking in a new bike and I wasn't familiar with the settings and I was going through like kind of the process of that kind of stuff. And I was just late, just running late. So I, I started off mid pack. And so like that changes my day and just halfway through the first lap of what I was doing. And, uh, don't know how I missed the course or missed the arrows I was supposed to be following, but somehow got off the course and then two guys, already missed the course like the same way I did. And they realized they were lost. And I just didn't know that I wasn't where I was supposed to be yet. And just the second gear, probably wide open on a forest service road on the side of a ski resort. And uh, just no, no reaction, nothing I could do. And just head on with those guys coming back to the course and uh, took a good, good nap on the side of the mountain. <laughs> and uh, yeah, from that point, my life has been a, a, a very different path than I thought I'd be going down. Yeah. So I'll, I mean, although it ended up not being you no know, life-threatening, it was certainly life-changing. You know, from what I understand, you spent two weeks in the hospital. You had to be, you know, airlifted out of there. I mean, that's just like, you know, every racer's nightmare in a way. But I mean, it seems like you were lucky in that, you know, it wasn't life-threatening. You mentioned that it was it was the first few weeks were pretty fuzzy too. And this one really stands out to me because, you know, I have a few of these myself, you know, like the sound of the crash. You said that that's like one of those things where you might have been fuzzy for the first couple of weeks, but that's one of those things you'll never forget. Yeah. So, I mean, a weird thing, like, I mean, as, as dirt bike racers, we've hit our heads a lot and uh, pretty used to the concussion thing. And yeah, yeah. I've lost, you know, days leading up to accidents and that kind of stuff. But for some reason, this accident and like my concussion and all that kind of stuff I dealt with, I can remember that morning so good. I can remember like everything up to the impact. I can remember all that stuff. So I, I, I kind of expected that to be taken away, but yeah, it's still very vivid and something, yeah, never going away. Yeah, I have a, like an auto crash that is kind of like that. So I imagine it's very similar. Like I can still kind of hear that in my mind, you know, that, that impact. And so, gosh, yeah, like I said, that's just uh, 
the worst case scenario, like head oning, you know, with someone else on a, on a dirt bike is just, yeah, the worst thing that can happen. But their list of injuries for you, though, is, man, you had, a, you know, it wasn't just your, your arm and your shoulder, but you had facial fractures, you had brain bleeding, ligaments, broken wrist. But the main thing, though, and tell us a little bit about this, because I, I just learned about this when I was doing the research, is this brachial plexus injury. Essentially, what you did is you severed the nerves from your C5 and C6 vertebrae. Yeah, that's, I mean, just just like you're saying, I had no idea about this thing until I was living it. And uh, actually, our, our friend Campo, he'd written a story in Vana a couple years earlier about Kiana Clay, who, similar thing, brachial plexus injury. Mm-hmm. And so he actually diagnosed like my injury before the doctors were able to figure out what was going on. So we actually took it to them like, hey, my wife said, I, I think he has a brachial plexus injury. So that was kind of our introduction to it. And yeah, so it's basically a stretching injury. And just from the force of the impact, my neck and my shoulder were pulled so far in different directions that, I mean, nerves are only so long, right? So it ripped the nerves out of my C5 and C6. And then the nerves out of the C7, C8, and T1 were also really stretched, but they weren't actually severed. So that, I think we'll get into it, is how I have some life in the arm now. But yeah, it was a new thing to me and something, uh, there's quite a few of us out there and actually most common injury for newborns, like coming out of the birth canal. So it was, it was hard to find a doctor actually for adults because most of the doctors are actually fixing babies. Wow, that's incredible. And so this injury, it literally almost makes it to where like you can't feel it, or is it just you just don't have any movement at all, or is it, I guess, both maybe? Um, yeah, all, all of the above. I really have very, very minimal feeling in my whole left arm, and that's just kind of permanent. And talking with, you know, I guess I joined a, a broken dude category now where I can talk with people that are, <laughs> have nerve injuries from like spinal cord injuries and that kind of stuff. Like as much as it sucks, the no feeling, there's always feeling. My arm is always burning. It's always has like electrical shocks and has all this stuff, just like phantom pains, mm. but it's not able to move it. So it's just a, it's a, that's a mean joke to deal with. Yeah. I mean, the amazing part of this whole story is that you sort of like, and we'll get into this, you, you kind of got lucky with this, you know, finding this doctor and, and getting an appointment. But initially, you know, the doctors that you said diagnosed you, I believe it was New Mexico. I mean, they said you were, you were never going to use this arm again. And so that had to be just shocking for one. But it seemed like your response was, is that's not acceptable. And, and you and your wife kind of went to work trying to find a way to, to fix this. Um, going to be really honest, like that's, it was acceptable to me. Like I was really drugged and really out of it, but also like just kind of given up, wow. like life was over the way I knew it and all this kind of stuff. And my wife was amazing about just searching and not accepting that there's nothing they could do. Like I, I just went with the doctors there, like they should know what they're doing. Yeah. Okay. This arm's just going to hang here forever. Like Whatever. That's what I'm dealing with. So then all of a sudden, Cody, you have this sort of chance encounter where you get connected with this doctor from out of state a Dr. Susan McKinnon. Tell us about that story. How did you end up getting connected with this person and just unbelievable amount of like sort of luck involved in this whole thing happening? Yeah, we, uh, 
or my wife really just started searching for a doctor and found this doctor in St. Louis. And she's actually the person who invented nerve transfer surgeries. So she's kind of a big deal. Yeah. And uh, I don't know how it happened, what, what lined up for me to be able to get in with her. But the doctor who was running tests on me here in Colorado actually ended up having the same name, same spelling, same everything as one of her grad students. So she told me like, oh yeah, how do you know my student? And we're like, we, we don't, we just went to this doctor. She's like, huh, I, I thought that was the, 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 my, my old grad student. I'm like, no, she's like, well, I only agreed to see you because I thought you were referred to me by one of my students. Unreal. So you get this connection and then, I mean, immediately you're like, when, when, when can we get this done? And what is it? So like the next day you're like, let's do it. How about tomorrow? <laughs> right. So yeah, we flew out there just what I thought was just for a consultation and they ran a whole bunch of series of tests again to kind of figure out where where there was still connection to my spinal cord and where there wasn't and all this kind of stuff. And uh, sitting there with her, I was being a smart ass because I, I just didn't think anybody could help or that my arm would just hang there forever. And I asked her, when can you do the surgery? And she said, does tomorrow work? I just kind of was, was blown away. I'm like, yeah, I mean, we weren't planning on that. We'll have to struggle figuring out insurance, figuring all this stuff. But we we moved mountains to be able to get in the next day to get to get sliced on and get hopefully on the road to some some progress. Yeah. So then I think what I read where you ended up having four total surgeries. And was that over like a, a period of time, I would assume? So with like what I was dealing with, there's like a very short window that they have to operate on to be able to get the signals back to the muscles again before they just die, right? Mm, okay, yep. So that window is from three to six months post-accident. So my accident was the end of September. So we flew out there for that consultation at the beginning of January. So I had the four surgeries from January, February, and March and that put me in the correct window for the nerve transfer surgeries. So then you get these surgeries and you're like, what's next? You know, obviously there's some recovery there. Fast forward, here we are in the present and you're able to ride your motorcycle again. I think you started out on a mountain bike and then you progress to riding your motorcycle again, even though you don't have full use of your arm. I mean, it's a pretty incredible, incredible story. All these things that happens. If you wouldn't have connected with the doctor, who knows, you know, where you'd be right now, but all these things aligned for you. Here we are two to three years down the road from your accident and you're riding a motorcycle again. So, I mean, tell me about that experience. Like, is that way more than you probably expected, I assume? I mean, totally. Like, I, I had no thoughts that I'd ever be still partaking in this part of life. But um, actually, it was like three in the morning after one of my surgeries. I just slept all day from anesthesia, so I couldn't sleep and all that kind of stuff. And my friend sent me a video of a mountain biker in Great Britain who had a similar injury I had. And he was back on a bike. He was riding good. He was ripping. and like, But he was more messed up than I was. Like His hand didn't work at all. And my hand worked. So, I mean, that's how many steps ahead of what he was doing. And he was riding good. So, I just in my head from that point, I was like, yeah, I can do this again. Like, it, it might not be the same. It might be harder. It might be more difficult. But yeah, I got back on a mountain bike about eight months after my accident. So, May-ish of 2020. Wow. And then from there, it's just like, okay, I can kind of do this. And then my speed just kept getting better. And my buddy that I'd always ride with, he uh, just kind of funny. He's like, you know, I, I, I'm faster than you again. <laughs> <laughs> and, and it was just for me, it was like, yeah, you are, you are, you're good. 
And then like I started to get more comfortable and started to get that stuff. And then he's like, dude, I can't keep up anymore. And it's like, all right. <laughs> so it was just from that of like just just progressing forward and then getting better and then thinking, I am riding a bicycle. Why can't I get back on a dirt bike? Like I said in that video, like I saw the FCA was having a camp and the year before my brother helped out with it and I was just too busy. I was working and I didn't have time for that kind of thing. And then just I was like, well, I can I can do this now. There's no reason why I can't be there. And if I'm just going to be teaching some kids and doing that kind of stuff, like I can start slow and kind of get a feel for it and see how it's going to go. And it was perfect because I, I was walking through fundamental drills with them and just doing it myself. I'm like, oh, that worked. Oh, I could kind of do that. Oh, that's good. Like, and just picking up my pace and my comfort and my speed and just back on the bike. And it was, it was a really awesome just week for me, actually. So how long was it then total before you actually, you know, got, you know, threw a leg back over a dirt bike again? Um, I didn't get back on a dirt bike for a year and a half, almost two years from my accident. Wow. It's like a lifetime in our, in our sport, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. And I, I, I was scared of them, right? The mountain biking was hard enough. And I thought being on a bike that's now four times or five times as heavy as a bicycle, like, can my arm handle that? And just, I still have like fatigue issues and that kind of stuff. Like it, it can't do what it used to. I mean, shoot, it's like 80% paralyzed. So what, what do I expect out of it? But it's good enough to hang on for a bit and uh, get some of that, that enjoyment that the reason why we all started doing this. I mean, it's so inspirational. I mean, were you able to, I'm curious to know if you're able to share this, your success story with, you know, Dr. McKinnon. Have you been in touch with her? She's a busy lady. Um, I, I I go back there quite often, or I did. I haven't gone back for probably a year now, but I'd go see the physical therapist that she like works hand in hand with and just get like checkups of where I'm at and updated workouts and that kind of stuff. So she's kind of more in tune with what I have been doing. But yeah, with the Vana edition just coming out, I got a stack of those that I'm getting ready to send out and just kind of want to say a special thank you to her for being really good at what she's doing so I can still do what I love to do. Before you finish today's episode, first we have a word from our sponsor. Stay ahead of the pack with the latest racing news and interviews from the Hammerdown Racing Report, your source for regional racing action as well as the national scene. Every week we recap racing action from all around Northwest Ohio and Southeast Michigan and cover national racing series from the world of outlaws to NASCAR. Plus get all the latest racing news. Join hosts Scott Hammer and Ron Miller, along with different featured guests each week. From dirt to asphalt, we have you covered. The Hammerdown Racing Report, available weekly on your favorite podcasting platform. You said, um, you know, at one point, and this is something I feel like, sadly, you know, it's a cruel aspect of our sport. There's that saying, you're only as good as your last race. Well, you mentioned that, you know, you kind of felt a little forgotten, you know, by the racing community there when you were, and you were kind of down and out there when this accident happened. And, you know, kind of talk a bit, little bit about that, because unfortunately that is a little bit of our sport, you know, sometimes when you're, when you're off the grid and you're out of sight, out of mind, you know, it's, it can be a little lonely. I mean, for sure. I mean, it's, it's such a community of like, it's a family you go see once a month, right? Or for whatever series you're doing, like how often they have races. And then once you just drop off the face of the map, it's kind of easy to be forgotten, right? So, I mean, I, th I think it's kind of one of those things of like going through all of this, 
and I'm not not bogging too hard on like today's social media culture, but like it's super easy to send a message to someone on Instagram or whatever that kind of stuff is. But yep. like just picking up a phone and actually calling someone and seeing how they're doing, like is kind of a forgotten thing that um, when I was going through what I was going through, like there wasn't that many people that actually called to see how I'm doing or there was, there were great people that showed up at the hospital and did all this stuff and like went beyond, but then there's also that whole group of like kind of surface level friends and that kind of stuff that I don't know. I just, I just wasn't around anymore and like world moved on without me. So that that was a little tough. Yeah, for sure. I mean, you definitely had some good, some good friends and and family down there. So I'm, I'm curious to know, like, I mean, you probably had to lean on, I'll call them the three F's, faith, family, and friends. I know you're a man of faith. That's a big part of your life. But I feel like to get through something like this, in addition, you know, you had to be surrounded by, you know, family and good friends to help you get through that. And I think I saw where you just, you know, you just had a, a child. So I'm sure that definitely changed your perspectives. But I mean, how much did that help you get through this? You know, those family and friends and, and your faith? I mean, the family and friends thing was just huge of just... I mean, I, I just in work like a physical laborer, do a lot of stuff like that. And then like having that taken away, there were so many of my friends and my family that just like helped me still accomplish the jobs I needed to do because you know work didn't stop just because I was broken. So they really stepped up and helped huge on that thing. And then just the mental aspect too of like having someone to talk to about like what I'm going through and like where I'm feeling and being able to get like deep with some people really like I feel like it's a it's a small community of people that like really have your back and I was just really thankful to be able to have those people around me that really went out of the way to make sure when I was hurting and really struggling that they were there even just to spend time with me. So that was that was huge. And then like on the faith part of it like it was a real life-changing thing and it was everything that my identity was was a racer and doing this kind of thing and that's what made me who I was and then having all that stripped away, like it kind of made me reassess like what my priorities were, what, what mattered most. And then like, even just in the, that video that we, we just released of like the first time I went to church and like heard a message, it was like, Whoa, how, how is that, that just for me? And just, I don't, I don't know the weird things that are put in your life. I don't, I don't, I can't explain. I don't, I don't have answers for like right when you needed to hear it, you 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 were able to hear it, right? Right. And that's what it seems like I could get, you know, got from what you mentioned in there. But I mean, it seems like to me, I mean, I think I know the answer to this, you know, just from talking to you already. But I mean, I feel like this accident really has, in a lot of ways, changed your perspective on life. You know, like you said, you identified as a racer so much in your life, and now you've got so much more. You know, so let's talk a little bit about that because it seems like this has definitely changed your life, but you've turned it into kind of a you know, positive and you've changed your perspective and you just looking at it in a different way. I mean, for sure. Like as racers, we're selfish, right? We, we focus on ourselves and it's about like what we can do to get the best result on the track. And you just kind of use or don't use people, but you're around people, but you don't invest a ton of time into them when it's not going in the same direction as you want for your goal to be the best you can be on the track. And just with this injury and this accident, like I wasn't able to race at the same level as I was, right? But I still had all of these talents and gifts and skills that I'd learned that I was now able to turn around and like 
teach to people and talk with them through, I mean, life is hard, right? So everything you're going through, like mine right now is a, a visible thing that you can see you're struggling with, but like the amount of just mental battles people are dealing with all the time, like I, I really reshifted my focus to be able to like give into the people around me and be like, yeah, you're, you're doing that. That's fine. But like, how are you? And actually go deeper than the surface level and that sort of thing. And try to try to make something good out of the the roadblock I hit to be able to help other people. And I would imagine that's just overall has just changed your perspective when you go to a racetrack now. Like it just probably feels different. You look at it, you know, through a different lens now. For sure. I mean, it, it's for fun again. Yeah. Like I, I guess that's how, how things have changed. Like when you're, when you're at the top level and you're expected to win, expected to do all this stuff, like it, the fun kind of can get taken out of it. But now, no one expects a thing out of me and I can go hang out and just talk to kids and talk to other people and actually be able to help. Like, Hey, you're uh, doing this a little weird in this corner. Try this different. Or, Hey, you're doing this this way. Like my brain still knows what I should have been doing. And even if I can't do it fully on the same levels I used to, I don't know, it changes, changes how you approach a weekend and all that sort of stuff. Well, I think it's a fantastic, you know, lesson for anyone out there on perspective and, you know, adaptation in a lot of ways. Cause like what you've done is it's, it's incredible, you know, from where you came from with this injury and now you're back on the bike, you have a pretty, pretty normal life for the most part. And so what's next for Cody Schaefer, you know, down the road? Uh, just keep having fun and I'm not bagging on racing or this kind of stuff, but I guess once you got to that higher level, the, the fun part of it kind of goes away. Like it's I mean, I wasn't paid enough to make it a job, but I still looked at it like it was a job, right? <laughs> yep. So I guess going forward, it's like picking out events that I just want to go do that have a cool environment and going for fun and giving of myself in a different way than just trying to win races or do that kind of stuff. Like, hey, how can I give back to this community that I've shaped my life around and just keep working forward and making the things that go to the best they can be. And you still got, I saw where you're doing a little bit of UTV racing. So you got a little bit of that to kind of get your competitive element out of yourself. Is that something you're doing with your brother or your dad? A uh, full family adventure. Uh, yeah. Oh, wow. <laughs> my dad and my brother actually really got into it a couple of years before my accident. And I just, I wasn't that interested. Like, why do I need to go do that? I'll do that when my body doesn't work. Well, that day came a little sooner than I was thinking. And uh, so, yeah, we're, diving into the UTV stuff pretty seriously. And it's, it's very similar, like as far as reading terrain and doing that kind of stuff, but it's got that cage thing. So it's, it's a little different, but it's still very fun. And it, it's a great thing to pour my competitive passions into when I'm not able to do it as much on a, on a dirt bike. Are you able to be a passenger? Cause I know I can't, you know, <laughs> I can't be in the passenger seat in one of those things. <laughs> <laughs> that that is a very special gift and uh i am able to be a passenger i don't know how many people i'd sign up to ride with riding with my brother no worries no nothing it's like we've, we've joked about it because he rides with me and i'll ride with him it's like where you have that thought like hey don't hit that rock like he's already steering that way so i don't even have to say it out loud now riding with my dad is a little scarier i gotta i gotta i gotta work on him a little bit like hey, you know we're doing a loop race right dad yeah well, you know how you blew that corner last lap? Yeah. Do you want to not do that again? Well, I, I guess so. <laughs> Dad, you need to break. Stop. 
Oh, oh, oh yeah, oh yeah. So it's 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 uh, definitely who you're riding with. I always tell people that I think ha- having ridden a dirt bike my entire life, I look at things differently in an automobile. Like we we understand traction, we understand things like that to where, like you're saying, we anticipate a little more. Whereas someone that just you know drives an automobile every day might not have that same sort of reaction. And we're able to retrain and stuff like that. Do you find that be the to be the case for you as well? Oh, for sure. Like it's it's so much your skills just transfer over. Like reading terrain is the biggest thing in whatever you're racing, right? Mountain bikes, dirt bikes, the UTVs. I mean, our nervous system feels like it's infinitely extendable, right? So you're a fighter pilot. You are sitting in the jet. You can feel what the corners of the jets are doing. Or you're sitting in a race car. Like you know where every corner is. You know where your tires are at. You know all that kind of stuff. And it's like, it just becomes one with you. So I, I feel like it's not on a dirt bike, but you get the same feelings. Yep, definitely. Well, it's been great talking to you, Cody. Anybody out there who wants to read Cody's story, you know, pick up a copy of the latest edition of Vana Magazine and the article's titled Out of the Depths, Cody Schaefer's Journey to Hell and Back. And he also has a video that accompanies it called Why Not Me? Um, and so I'm curious to know like you, the name difference on the on the video. Where did, where did the name come from for um, Why Not Me? Uh, so I was actually listening to, I guess, the, the more of the connections you don't understand kind of thing. The day I got hurt, David Pingree's Whiskey Throttle Show had Doug Henry on it. And I mean, I didn't listen to it for four months, five months after my accident. But in there, like there's a line he talks about and it's like, you know, everything you're going through, the only thing you can change is your attitude. And like, it just, like I said, jabbed me in the side. Like I am having a pity party for myself. I'm crying about all the things I can't do. I'm crying about why this happened. And I'm like, just going from that why me attitude to why not me? Like if I was given this, I can handle it. I'm strong enough. I will deal with it. So I guess that's kind of where that comes from. Awesome. Well, like I said, you know, it's a, it's a lesson in perspective and, and, uh, what a great story, Cody. Glad to see you're back doing well, uh, riding your riding your motorcycle, riding your mountain bike, raising your raising your son. It's got to be got to be an amazing place you're at right now. Any last words you'd like to share with our our listeners out there and or people you want to thank or or any other shout outs? Now would be the time. My last words would be: you don't know what someone's going through, so if you have the opportunity to not just send them a message on Instagram, give them a call or stop by and see how they're really doing is something to really can make a difference in someone's life really appreciate your time today and uh all the best with everything going forward if you enjoyed this episode be sure to follow pit pass moto on your favorite podcast listening app so you never miss an episode and if you have a moment please rate and review our show. We'd appreciate it. You can also follow us on social media or visit pitpassmoto.com where you can listen to past episodes and purchase your very own Pit Pass Moto swag. This has been a production of Evergreen Podcasts. A special thank you to Tommy Boy Halverson and the production team at Wessler Media. I'm Dale Spangler. I hope you'll join us next week for another episode of Pit Pass Moto. Thanks for listening. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early 
so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, click Granger.com, or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.